2 has entered the podcast. Welcome, welcome back, people, to Player 2 Has Entered the Podcast, that show about gaming news and backlogs. I'm your host, Michael, a.k.a. MC Paperstacks, and we're back in the off week to go over the games I've been playing recently and to close out our backlog journey with Outriders. Before we get into the games, I want to quickly do a little bit of housekeeping. So it's the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday. Happy shopping to everybody. Happy leftovers. I actually had a very successful Thanksgiving this year. I think if you don't have any fights with your family and the food is on point, that is a good Thanksgiving. And both of those things occurred, and I'm very pleased. We have plenty of leftovers as well, and I hope that it was similar for you guys. The second thing I wanted to talk about is in regards to the show. So I've been musing for a while about making a change. There's been times definitely before I started editing an episode where I was like, I just want to quit because <laughs> editing sucks. But I do think that I need a break, at least a mental break, because I've been doing this nonstop every single week for almost three years. And so I want to take the rest of the year off. Uh, which would be a month and some change at this point, and retool and rethink how I want to do things. So I will probably continue the show, although not in the same capacity as it is now. I'm musing about potentially doing one episode per month and then using the other weeks that I'm not working on an episode to promote it and maybe get it out there to more people. And that way I could start meeting people again like I used to you know, get some fresh voices on the show and and still get other guests. Like the player two thing is still going to happen. I'm going to bring in the people that have been with us in the past, like I have been. So you get to hear from them again, going to meet some new folks, hopefully, and kind of move this thing forward, so to speak. Got to retool. So I hope you guys will stick with me through that. Now, does that mean you won't be hearing from me for the rest of the year? Probably not. I mean, honestly, I guess on a lot of other podcasts, and I'll still advertise that on Twitter and Facebook and wherever, just to let people know like where I'm at and what I'm doing. I was recently on Gamer Friends, and the episode's going to drop pretty soon. We're talking about Black Panther, spoiler cast. It's like a two-hour episode pre-editing, so... I'd like to apologize in advance to Cedric. I'm so sorry about that. I really tried to restrain myself. But the movie was great, and we all had a lot to say. Hope you guys will look forward to that. Without further ado, let's get into the last episode of the year. All right. What I've been playing. If you guys remember two weeks ago, I was talking to that Tim dude, and Tim had talked about Vampire Survivors and how it just arrived on console and Game Pass. So I was definitely keen to try it out. and. It is fantastic. It is an excellent, excellent game. I played it obsessively until another game that came out recently that I'm going to talk about on this list came out. Just from start to finish every day, going through each of the new levels I unlocked, trying out the new characters I unlocked. And like he had described it, it is a roguelite. So each run lasts anywhere from... A couple of minutes if it's early on in game and you don't have a whole lot of know-how to survive yet because that's the whole point is to survive all the way up to a half hour typically because once you reach 30 minutes in a level that's considered the end and you get killed by the grim reaper himself he just shows up and kills you and he's crazy strong there are rumors you can defeat him 
In fact, I was positioned to do so, but I don't think that they had updated that particular portion of the game for consoles at the time. So I spent probably an extra couple of hours in a level trying to fight it, staving it off with certain weapons like a combo that I had set up. So I had made a really powerful build, but he just would not go down. There was a recent update to the game that added a few more levels, some new characters, they said. Maybe that's the update needed to defeat Death finally. I might update on that next year. Who knows? If you're on the fence about it or you looked at the screenshots, because the screenshots are not impressive. It looks very mobile, indie, throw this on for $2 and see, you know, what sticks type of game. But it is anything but. It is very high effort. The creator and the devs like very active on Twitter and the community surrounding it is robust because it really is just a rewarding and fun game. To me, I just always wanted to do another run and try different weapons. And the way that it works is you have six slots for weapons and then another six slots for accessories. A weapon you get can level up, essentially, by you choosing to level it up when you level up. So the way that the gameplay loop works is you start with a character and they have their starting weapon and they auto attack. So the very first character you can play as has a whip and you just kind of shoots it out in front of him and enemies come at you. You position your character so that way your attacks land onto them. And as you defeat enemies, they drop gems. You pick up the gems and if you pick up enough, you level up and then you get an option of three, sometimes four if you're lucky different ways you could either grab a new weapon from that level up, a new accessory, or level up your existing equipment. The best part is, is that the weapons actually can evolve if you pair them with the right accessories. So there's strategy in which weapons you pick up, but also which accessories you pick up. And the accessories range from anywhere to increasing the speed at which you attack, to increasing the experience you receive, to pulling in those orbs that you need to level up from further away, to increasing your luck so like more helpful items show up in the stage, like maybe more health or money from like the candles that you break. And money is used to purchase permanent upgrades in the main menu or new characters as you unlock them. So there's this whole ecosystem going on that keeps you playing and keeps you wanting to see like more and more new stuff. And as you hit certain milestones and levels, new levels will unlock. Eventually, you get special items that allow you to customize, like what track will play. You get characters that reference other video games. Like, it's definitely mainly Castlevania focused, that's for sure. But there was a character that was inspired by Bayonetta that showed up, and it was really clever how they did their initial weapon setup, and I, I really enjoyed the reference. And the music they made specifically for that character to play while they're fighting is very Bayonetta like. So again, a, a fun reference. Probably going to be my indie game of the year if I had to call it right now. But, you know, we still have a little bit of the year left. We'll have to see about that. One of the first episodes you'll probably hear me on as I come out of my break or right before I exit the break, depending on if I do it on our show, if we do it on Gamer Friends, is my games of the year. And I'm very much looking forward to that. And even if I decide to further reduce the frequency of the show i'm always going to talk about my games of the year that's just a fun show to do and there's those are always my favorite shows to listen to i love when content creators that i follow and critics whose opinions that i respect talk about the games that they enjoyed 
whether they loved the games that I loved, hated the games that I loved, or were into games I never even heard of. I learned something and I get a perspective that I really enjoy. So I hope you guys get the same. I also played Spider Heck. Tim was talking that up, and that's a multiplayer game, which is also on Game Pass. Along the tradition of indie multiplayer party games, it's fast, it's fun, it's easy to get into, quick to understand how to play it. Not super slow to master either. The trickiest part about Spider Heck is the movement. As a spider, you stick to any surface you're on, and if you press left or right, if it's like a circular suspended surface, they'll just kind of circle around that rock. But you also have that web zip he talked about, which will either zip you straight to another surface if you press the button fast enough, or if you zip above and jump, you can kind of swing from your web zips. When you combine that with either melee or shooting weapons while you're attacking other spiders, you can pull off some pretty sick looking kills. Like I had a lot of fun just playing with Tim. I didn't even get a chance to play like four players. Just the two of us, I was having a ball. And win or lose, it was just fun to see like how each of us got taken out. There were a couple of uh, Star Wars-like standoffs where we both had lightsabers and one person jumped towards the other and then we both slash at the same time and then you see who has the high ground, so to speak. If you're looking for something to play with friends, you know, to hop in and out of or you enjoy the couch co-op, you have some friends that come over, whatever, definitely boot up Spider Heck. If you don't have Game Pass, I think it's worth buying. I would definitely recommend buying it. Uh, You're going to have a good time. Of all of the multiplayer party indie games that I know of, you know, Nidhogg, Star Wall, Killer Queen Black, it's probably my favorite. I'll say that. Still playing Ring Fit, and maybe we'll blame it on Thanksgiving, but I think it all ju- also just has to do with the fact that I got to put in a lot of effort. I still lost weight, but not as much as last time. I only lost like a pound. So <laughs> there must have been some fluctuation going on. Still, we're making forward momentum. And that's what matters. Hey, maybe if I check in sometime in January, we'll see more progress because more time has passed. Or I'll have completely backslid. Either way, hope you're along for that journey. There's not much more I can say about Ring Fit that I haven't already said. So I may just check in with the fact that I'm still playing it. And if there's anything new that pops up, I'll mention it. I mean, I've already talked about you can equip different items to adjust your stats. You can adjust which exercises you take into battle. I'm in an area of the game now where there are different like gurus that specialize in different body parts and they're giving me challenges like the arm guy is like, do this challenge where you have to do a bunch of like ring presses or like the abs is like crush a lot of rocks and and use the uh, the ab press to pilot the canoe to get across this lake, stuff like that. It's good times. The main game that I played for the last week that got me to stop playing Vampire Survivors temporarily. I'm definitely coming back to Vampire Survivors, please believe. But the main game was Pokemon. Of course it is. I've been talking about it for a while. Pokemon Violet is the version I picked up because I'm a sucker for Edgelords and the legendary that, I guess, faux legendary, because I don't know if they're actually legendary, but I saw the design of like the purple blade guy. He looked cool. And I like the, uh, the main... Meridon, I think it is the name of the Pokemon. It's kind of like robotic-like version. I just, I dig that aesthetic. So I picked up Violet. If you've listened to reviews of the game so far, if you've been following it at all, then you probably know 
that people are saying that it doesn't run so hot on the Switch, and that's 100% true, I have to admit. I am not surprised. I'm a little let down, but I get it because they're on such a tight development schedule. But again, it's self-imposed. I really do hope that the amount of backlash they're getting, despite the fact that they sold a fuck ton of copies, I think they're at over 10 million at this point. So maybe they don't really have any incentive to change. But I hope just out of love for the craft, they can take a moment and go, hey, we're really getting ambitious with our games. We're 3D. We're open world. We're working on five-year-old tech. And who knows, maybe a Switch Pro is around the corner. We should take a second and maybe take an extra year or two to develop a game and finish it. Because if there's one thing I'm disappointed about, aside from the performance issues, and I'll go into detail on that in a minute, I'm really disappointed about how certain aspects of the game seem interesting but completely unfinished. The hook is definitely the new Pokemon, and to their credit, they've designed way more new Pokemon than I expected, and they're awesome. I love most of the designs, if not all. I can't think of any Pokemon that I ran across that I, I didn't like, to be honest. Very, very cool designs. And the models, the 3D models are actually better than they've ever been. There's still some argument to be had about the rich colors and the art of the 2D sprites and how good they looked. And then when it first moved to 3D, you know, how it kind of looked a little washed out and some of the... 3D Pokemon designs really kind of made what the original 2D art looked awesome. The the 3D designs kind of make them look really dumb. <laughs> I'm thinking of Arceus and playing as like Electivire or Magmortar. Magmortar looks terrible in 3D. Oh god, it was so stupid. <laughs> but in this game, all the new Pokemon, I mean, they have the advantage, obviously, of being designed with 3D in mind from Jump, but they look awesome. And even the older ones that kind of looked crummy up to this point do look better. There's a bit of a texture you can see to the Pokemon when you kind of zoom in. There was much ado to be made about the way the story was structured, because you have gym battles, but you can do the gym battles in any order. They're in an open world, right? And then they had this, oh, the Path of Legends mode. Ooh, what's this? And then, of course, they had the Team Star stuff. And as I was playing it, I thought it was going to be interesting to see how they split the stories up and how they flowed. But one thing I started to notice as I got through the game is this is one of the areas that, are, that was really underbaked. The gym challenges are fine. They're fun. You know what I mean? Like to go through the different gyms as you would expect. But they have these little challenges before the actual gym battle. And those are severely underbaked. There was one gym challenge where it's like you need to ski down this hill as fast as you can. When I got on Maridon, he had like little skis fitted to him, which was cute. And I went down. It was slow and clunky, and the course was very simple. There were some curves left and right. Like, you have to go through the, like, slalom poles that they put up. And it's just bare bones and not fun. And I was timed, but I easily beat the time. Like, there was just no skill or effort involved, no sense of momentum or speed. It was boring. There was another one where I had to like bounce this giant olive into a basket, but it wasn't timed. So even though there's this big obstacle course and a lot of stuff in my way, I could take all the time I needed. So again, it was boring. There were no stakes to it. 
There's another one we have to go find some flora that are hidden in a village. Took me no time at all. You're supposed to find 10. I honestly think they hide more than 10, so that way, no matter where you look, you're going to eventually find the 10 that you need. It did not take long or much effort for me to like seek out those Pokemon. So there's some interesting ideas at play with the gym challenges and a real opportunity to make some cool mini games to shake up gameplay, but they just fall flat for me. Path of Legends is where you're finding Titan Pokemon. There's this whole legend about this herb that if a Pokemon eats it, it'll make it really strong and kind of make it bigger than it typically would be. That became very formulaic and predictable because after the first one, every subsequent Path of Legends thing, I think there's like five or six. I can't remember how many you have to do. There's not as many as the, as the gyms. You just find the creature, you fight it, and only unless you're really going out of your way to get to a, a Path of Legends challenge that's nowhere near where you start, your levels are fine to take out the Pokemon, especially if you have a type advantage. And they clearly signpost what Pokemon type you're going to be dealing with, save for one swerve, which was fun and interesting. It had to do with a new Pokemon's mechanic. I found that I would just go to the thing, fight the thing, it would retreat, eat the herbs, get powered up, and then another character would show up and fight the Titan with you. Then you go to get the herbs. The herbs are put into a sandwich and then used to upgrade your legendary Pokemon that you ride around on. And that's how they get access to glide and climb and swim and all kinds of other stuff, right? So there's an incentive to go through it, but the incentive is just, I want more mobility for my legendary, not I want to do some cool Pokemon battles or see some decent set pieces because they're all samey and boring. Again, underbaked. I thought finding alphas, especially initially in Arceus, was better, even if that eventually became formulaic and systematic after a while. So they still haven't quite nailed the, the quote-unquote boss Pokemon. That reminds me of the raid battles. The raid battles are so easy. They're so easy. Even if you play by yourself, they give you three AI components. And if I found myself fighting a raid Pokemon, like a, they're all terrorized, of course. If I found myself at a, a disadvantage, you have the cheer function where you can essentially raise the attack, defense, or health of everybody on the team, including yourself. And that was enough to get most battles by. Plus, you actually do play with people online. I mean, even day one, there were people with endgame Pokemon. I'm like, Jesus Christ, like, how did you get that far? And they just one shot most of the Pokemon that I was dealing with in the beginning of the game. So, it, again, it's a cool concept. And... With the higher rated or tougher Pokemon, they may take a few more hits to take out. So you start to see some of the mechanics, like they can put up a shield and stop you from damaging them for a period of time. And you might have to terrestrialize to break the shield. They have special abilities where they can clear any negative effects that you place on them to defeat them. But honestly, you can brute force it and you're guaranteed a catch. So you can even use the online function to jump into anybody else's Terra battle at any time and fill up your decks that way. And I got to tell you, it is a lot more fun and easy to catch Pokemon in the Terra raids than it is out in the world once you get about mid-game and on. Because all of the annoying, time-sucking tricks that Pokemon has employed pre-Arceus show back up. So Arceus was great because the focus was on catching lots of Pokemon, but it was very easy to catch them. You know, especially if you have the right equipment, the right setup. 
with Pokemon that are level, I don't know, 25 and up, you definitely have to have a status effect. You definitely have to have them in the red. And if you get access to Quick Balls, which happens, I think, after the last gym, if I recall, you can get lucky and throw a Quick Ball in the beginning of battle. And that works, you know, like for me, like 50, maybe even 75% of the time. But up to that point, catching Pokemon was just an exercise. A lot of them have healing abilities or they have abilities that will cause them to faint. There's this move called Memento where you dramatically reduce the attacking ability of your opponent Pokemon, but at the expense of your life. Good for like a trainer battle, but not good for a wild Pokemon because then you're trying to catch them and they take themselves out. It's terrible. I, I could explain all of the little details that cause battles to drag out when you're just trying to catch a damn Pokemon. But I mean, if you played one previous mainline Pokemon game, you know what I'm talking about. And the speed at which you got messages in battle and move through battle on Arceus has been scaled back to almost the way it used to be. Like it is a little quicker and they have that let's go function so you can fight Pokemon without going into battle if you want to gain experience. But even that's a bit neutered. There's been a lot of times where I've tried to aim at a Pokemon with the left trigger and you're supposed to be able to highlight the Pokemon. And if they're in your decks, you can see their name. And if you've caught them, you'll have a symbol that shows that you've caught one of that type before. But just getting that to work reliably, it wouldn't. Sometimes I'd be, I'd be facing straight towards the Pokemon and press the button and nothing comes up. And if I throw my Pokeball, it would still hit them like I was aimed at them. So I didn't get that. It just didn't work half the time. But with the Let's Go... You throw out your Pokemon and they just start attacking. And that was sometimes unreliable. And if, if Pokemon were rushing me because they were aggressive, I often had to like keep pivoting and try to throw my Pokemon at them to do the auto battle. And sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't. And it became kind of frustrating. And they purposely made Let's Go not as effective by reducing the amount of experience that you gain when you use it, even though you still get experience for yourself and the rest of your Pokemon. So it's effective for leveling up. But if you level up via a let's go battle, so you weren't actually in the battle system, if you were supposed to evolve for that level up, you won't. Not until you level up from your Pokemon or one of its party Pokemon friends or in an actual battle, and then everybody gets experience from that. Also, if the level up would have given you a new ability, same thing. You don't get that ability until you actually like quote unquote legit level up by participating or being in the party while an actual battle was going on. Not a big fan of that. I hope they, they can refine that. And again, just change the way. Like, I understand that there's supposed to be some inherent challenge, but it's not. It's time-wasting and boring. To me, the challenge should really be in trainer battles, not in random wild battles. Those, you should be able to, like, just take down the Pokemon easily or catch them like you did in Arceus. And again, if you go up against a high-level Pokemon, and you don't have a type advantage, then yeah. I mean, the one thing I liked about Arceus is even when you had an advantage, those Pokemon could still fuck you up. I would go against a Pokemon that I was like 20 levels above, but if I didn't play smart, they could KO my Pokemon. In this game, that doesn't happen. If you go against a Pokemon that's higher level than you, they will kick your ass, and in, and in reverse, it becomes really easy once you get leveled. So the balancing is off. And I'm like, you guys already learned the formula in Arceus. Just translate that. To me, difficulty should be if you go up against a higher level Pokemon, a legendary or something like a, an event battle, like those Titans, or trainers. That's it. 
And I love one of the changes they made to trainers because if they see you in the wild, they don't automatically pull you into a battle. There's an indication if you fought a trainer or not because they'll have a speech bubble that pops above their head as you approach them. And the speech bubble has a certain color. If it's orange, they will either battle you or maybe they have something important to sell you or trade. So if you approach and talk to them, something's going to happen. You're going to have an interaction. There are other speech bubbles that are white. That just means either they're talking or there's like a little symbol that means you can get further information out of them. But it's just going to be a straight conversation. No, no exchange of Pokemon or battle or anything like that. That's positive. There's tons of items everywhere all over the ground. And in Let's Go mode, the Pokemon will pick them up as they're walking around looking for other Pokemon's asses to kick. That's cool. I'm into that. I like the fact that you get items and can craft TMs. I think it's unnecessary because I did enjoy just getting a TM and being able to use it as much as I want. But it does add a level of like wanting to seek out certain Pokemon and, and get moves. And it just kind of makes it more engaging. So I'm into that. And they even have Pokemon that you can find throughout the world that make a, a particular sound. And they give you a special item if you see them and talk to them. I'm into that. I'm a little secrets and discovery. And to the game's credit, the environments, while bland looking sometimes, there are several meticulously designed spots. The towns all look different and cool. There are caves and cul-de-sacs and just different areas that you can explore and find different Pokemon in, and I'm into that. I really do feel like the open world exploring it is fun. The last thing that I didn't talk about so far is the Star Gang or Team Star, those battles. The story is Team Star is causing trouble. They're truant kids not going to school. They're bothering people, apparently. And they have, I was like, five or six bosses. The bosses reside over their own little area, like a hideout. And they made an arbitrary dumb rule that if the boss is defeated in battle by another Pokemon trainer, then they have to renounce their title and shut down their base. So you get conscripted by a character who doesn't reveal who they are but you very easily figure out who they are and what they're about it's it's not even like remotely hidden like you can you can pick up the clues pretty easily the character contacts you and says hey i want you to take out these gang leaders so that they'll cease their activity and you can take down team star the operation's called team starfall cute the first base i went to i realized that the mechanic here is you defeat the grunt at the door they let you in and then you have to defeat 30 pokemon in the base and be challenged by the leader the way you defeat the pokemon is through an alteration of the let's go system where the top three pokemon in your party can all be used for let's go at the same time and that's it you know ahead of time like okay this hideout is poison so you prep your ground and psychic type pokemon right then you go into the battle and you just kind of throw them out. And other Pokemon are jumping out from everywhere. Presumably the grunts are throwing out their Pokemon. And then you just throw yours and they fight each other automatically. And then you rack up 30 kills. Super easy. Uncomplicated. Never had any issue with it. As long as you know the type that you're going into. And you have three Pokemon of a decent level. Not even a decent level. Like I never really had to grind or adjust my levels the entire time I went through this game. There were definitely areas that I went to before or sort of out of order, I guess, of the recommended level. So there were some fights where I actually had to use my brain a bit in the gym battles. But as far as these hideouts, 
no, not even once, like at least one of my Pokemon, if not all three, were well up to the task. And then when you fight the gang leader, they come out in this like sick looking custom car with speakers all over it. There's, there's a Pokemon that's used as the engine <laughs> and you fight a bunch of their Pokemon and eventually you fight the engine and it has like a big health bar. But again, easy to take down. And then you see a flashback and I'm not going to give a ton of story, even though I don't think the story was really much to write home about. I haven't finished the game yet, so maybe I'll change my mind, but I've already finished all the paths and have like the final mission for each path to do. And I'm not impressed with the story, but you get a little backstory and then they quit. And that's that same thing for every base. So samey. And again, if they fleshed out the let's go system a little more or put in some different types of challenges that may have shook things up, but as it stands, it's very formulaic and just a, a cross off of your checklist. What I noticed is while much ado is made about these three different paths and the out of order way that you can do them, it still is at its core, a classic Pokemon game. Think back to any Pokemon game that you may have heard of or played before. Sapphire, Ruby, blue and, and red, black, white, I don't know, all the colors, right? <laughs> it's all of those elements, but they're just mixed together and literally set in front of you. You're still fighting eight gems and then the Elite Four. You're still having run-ins with the gang, whether that's Team Magma or Team Rocket or whoever. You still have like the overarching like plot, you know, whether it's really bare bones and tied in with the gang or not just depends on the version, but you have you know, legendary Pokemon that you seek out either in the post game or during the main game that kind of go into the lore of the area that you're in. They just took those things and split them up, but it's all there. All the elements are still there. There's nothing really new here other than some tweaks to the way that these mechanics are presented. Now that said, it kind of sounds like my overall impression of this game is negative. And to be fair, I have had a ton of fun with this game and I plan on finishing it and I plan on doing the decks because I kind of enjoy collecting and storing all the different Pokemons and learning about them. And I may even do some post-game content because that traditionally is where you get to the tougher part of the game. I don't think I'm going to do any like person-on-person -person competitive battling because that takes a level of dedication and time that I just don't want to invest anymore. I'm just not that person. I did that when I was younger. I think around Generation 4, that's when I was like, I'm done with that part of the Pokemon experience. That said, worth it. I don't regret my purchase at all. I'm going to pick up the other version probably for my kid, and then we're going to do some co-op and play together, and it's going to be a fun experience for the two of us. He obviously uncomplicatedly loves it. I really do think that if you have a child, like anybody from age I can read up to adolescence, they're going to be into the game uncritically. They're going to enjoy it. For an adult, especially one that's been following the franchise for this long, I definitely see its glaring flaws. And I'm definitely disappointed that we haven't come further at this point, especially since it seems like we took a step back from Arceus, to be honest. That said, the parts that are good are really good. And overall, I'm having a good time with it. So those are my thoughts. What are you going to do now? Is it going to be even in my top five this year? Probably not. Probably not. And that's just because we had a lot of good games this year. I've yet to play Ragnarok, but when I do, whoo, from what I've heard, it's going straight to the top. We'll see, though. I think I've droned on long enough about Pokemon. Let's get to the backlog game. 
the final part of Outriders. Now, I mentioned I'd probably have Tim and Nerdy on the show today, and the reason I didn't was partly because of the holiday and the timing around that and the scheduling and this being the last episode for the rest of the year. I decided to go ahead and just do it solo dolo. It felt right. So, Tim, if you're listening, I know you're not because you don't listen to the gaming podcast. Nerdy, if you're listening, I want to apologize if you guys are expecting to be on this one with me. Don't worry. I'll definitely have you guys back in the future because you're great and I love to hear your perspective on games. Now, I beat the game with Tim and Nerdy, and I want to talk about the story first. I will timestamp it, of course, just like I timestamp everything. So if you're here just for overall thoughts and you don't really want to know about the story, you can skip ahead. I don't think I'm spoiling much, to be honest. The story was never really the biggest draw, even if it did marginally get interesting here and there. But there's your warning. Gonna talk story up front. Here we go. We're continuing to follow the signal. We think the signal is the key to possibly getting past the anomaly or figuring out the secrets of this planet. What we discover when we finally get to the signal is the wreck of the Caravel, which has inexplicably reached Enoch before the Flores. So as a reminder, there were two ships planned to come to Enoch from Earth. The Caravel crashed and burned, and the Flores is the one that made it and brought our main character and the rest of the crew to Enoch where all hell broke loose, right? So obviously we're a little confused by why the fuck the Caravel was here. Once we enter into the Caravel and look around, we learn that after the Flores left Earth, the people that were left behind rebuilt the Caravel with a more advanced engine, which makes sense because it takes a long fucking time to travel in space. They'd have time to do that. With that advanced engine, they were able not only to travel to Enoch, but to get there before the Flores. Upon landing, the Caravel colonists encountered the native race that they call the Pax, which we've seen with August, that, that alien that we talked about. The Pax are named after their peaceful nature, so they were chill. And the Pax civilization also kept the anomaly in check, harnessing their own powers from it. So they had similar powers to the Altered, and they used that in harmony with making sure that the anomaly didn't spread across the planet and wreck things, as it had done when we arrived. The colonists craved this power for themselves, and they feared that eventually the Pax might use it against them. So they violently subjugated the Pax in a vain attempt to gain their abilities before exterminating them. So it's a pretty rough, overt reference to colonialism and how we suck. And you know what? It's legit. I mean, that's kind of what people do, and it sucks. Left with no choice, the surviving Pax turned themselves into a feral form, basically sacrificing their own quote-unquote humanity to become stronger and wipe out the Caravel colonists. And in turn, since there are no sane packs left, the anomaly is unleashed across Enoch, the same storm that kills people, that poisons them, that blocks out the internet. No one can watch YouTube. It's, it's a mass hysteria. The signal that the Outriders had followed all this time was actually the Caravel's automated distress beacon. And we meet the main bad guy, I guess, that the soldier, general, whoever, that led the original colonists. And he monologues for a bit, but then we shoot him because, I mean, whatever. <laughs> and then the ferals assault the caravel, and we have to then fight them in the main feral boss. 
to allow Zahidi to signal the Flores now that we have enough signal strength to do so outside of the anomaly and have the Flores launch its cargo pods so we can finally get supplies and maybe find a way to colonize a portion of this world. As we're fighting the boss, eventually we succeed. Zahidi gets the signal to the Flores. We watch all of the cargo pods enter atmosphere and land in various places. And some more humans show up who followed our trail. They're inspired by the Outrider. And at this point, we enter the endgame where the Outrider presses on to look for a suitable area to colonize and locate those cargo pods or supplies. That ends the story portion. Now, as far as gameplay, I played most of it with Tim and we were fine. The end boss, even with our end game builds and our equipment and just being dipped and buttered, like we were good to go. We were dripped out. We had everything that you needed. We were maxed out. The two of us could not defeat this boss. It requires three people, which is kind of bullshit. I mean, if you want to make it so one person can get past it, I get it. But two people, come on. Now, to be fair, we were in the maxed out world tier, so we were fighting the hardest version of the boss there was. But fuck you, I'm not lowering that. So we called in some support by our old friend Nerdy. Nerdy, the sensei, rolls through, and we handily hand that boss his ass. It wasn't super easy, but it was definitely a lot more doable, and we got through first try when Nerdy helped us out. So there you go. After we beat the game, I did try out one of the post-game missions where you go to one of the pods and try to get the supplies. And it's just basically wave attack. You go to the area, a bunch of enemies attack you in waves, you defeat them, then you pick up the loot, then you leave. Rinse and repeat. It's a way to get legendary equipment, but to me, it's not interesting to get legendary equipment if all I'm doing is using it to get more legendary equipment. I mean, I mean, I know you can break down most loot games in that way, but there's a breakup. There's story, there's environmental exploration, there's different types of missions, right? But in this, it's just go here, fight the monster closet, get the thing, come back. And they also increase your world tier beyond the max of the original game. So things get harder and harder and progress and you get a higher and higher chance of getting good loot, whatever, whatever. At that point, Tim was like, hey, you want to get on and uh, do some more uh, post-game cargo pod missions? And I told him, I was like, you know what? No. <laughs> I enjoy hanging out with you and playing. I think that's the day we played Spider Hack because I was like, I'm done with Outriders. We made a dream come true on the backlog for not just me this time, but for that Tim dude. So congratulations, sir. You can cross Outriders off the backlog. The backlog is helping people. We're doing the Lord's work. The backlog will return, don't worry. It may not be its own show, but when I come back, we will continue to go through these games that we can't seem to beat on our own by fostering a community that supports each other and plays through the game together. Now, does that necessarily mean it's going to be all multiplayer? No. In fact, it's kind of inconvenient to play a multiplayer game in the backlog because imagine you're in a book club and you can only read the book that you guys are trying to read if you're in the same room and using the same book and you guys are over each other's shoulder. So schedules have to line up and, and you can only go as far as the other person's going, right? That's not great. If I get like a really strong demand or request for another multiplayer game, I'm still down to do that. But I'm definitely up front, I'm going to be like, hey, anybody that does this, y'all need to commit. We need a schedule. <laughs> because 
the whole setup for backlog at this point is it's just a lot easier to play a single player game in your own time, get to the prescribed point of the game that you need to get to for the next breakdown or discussion. You're hitting milestones slowly and beating the game over time. And personally, I really enjoyed finally beating Beyond Good and Evil and then getting through Mystical Ninja Goemon was a treat. And Outriders, while I didn't enjoy it as much, that's another game under the belt and that feels good to me. I hope you guys will continue to follow the backlog and remember that we have our own channel in the Gamer Friends Discord. So join the Discord if you haven't already. Download the app on your phone. Just hop in and say hi. Check it out. You got questions? Reach out. I can talk to you about it. If you're not familiar with Discord, honestly, it's probably my favorite social media device because it's insular. There's, you know, a little over 100 members in the Gamer Friends Discord, and we got a lot of lurkers, but we have a lot of regular people that come in and, and talk, and you can always just reach out in different channels and go, hey, does anybody want to play this multiplayer game? There are so many people in that Discord that are down to either chat or play games with other people, so it's a really great way to just have a community around enjoying and playing games together, and I hope you guys will check it out. That's the show. I am going to work to try to get this edited in the same day and put out because this is the day I'm supposed to launch. Typically, I'd have this recorded earlier, but, you know, Thanksgiving, what are you going to do? I hope you guys will stick around with me, and I hope you will allow me to indulge in this well-needed break. <laughs> I really do need to take, take a moment. I've just been running nonstop, and I need to retool some things. I will be back likely in January or February, depending on how things go. And at that point, I'll drop an episode, I will advertise it in the usual areas, and then we'll move from there. So usually I say, we upload new episodes to our hub at anchor.fm slash player2 and center the pod every single Friday. Not going to be the case for a bit, but definitely check out our older shows, catch up, check out the social media. We got a lot of unique videos on TikTok. I haven't uploaded in a while, but there's a ton on there. Maybe show some love, like those, comment on those. I'd appreciate it. Join the Discord. Hang out with us. I'd love to see you guys. And of course, if you really want to support us, Patreon helps. And if Patreon gets big enough, we can start cutting our other requirements and responsibilities to make money and really kind of dedicate ourselves to this. Do I think that's ever going to happen? Eh, I mean, stranger things have happened. I definitely would take it very seriously if we developed a following and there are people really wanting to support us and have us do the podcast more frequently. But at this point, obviously, it's a labor of love and it is of love. I hope you guys know that. For those who came out to listen, know that I appreciate you. I love you. And hopefully I'll see you when we come back. Take care.